Welcome to the Lockdown Minnesota Twins podcast. Today is Monday, April 26th, and I'm your gracious host, Nash Walker. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend, just beautiful here in Minneapolis, especially today. Uh, just wonderful out there. Hopefully you got out and played some golf. I got out and played some baseball this weekend, played a game called uh, Stickball with my friends. You use a regular baseball bat, but you throw tennis balls, uh, and everything else is just like real baseball because you play pitcher's hand, so it's a little harder to get base hits. We got whooped like 15-1, to 1, but uh, I was laughing and had a lot of fun. Bases, friends, bats, uh, and like I said, lots and lots of fun. I enjoyed it. Yesterday I played catch through some BP to a couple high schoolers, really refreshing, also made me miss baseball even more more. Uh, We're back today and this week to talk about our favorite ball club, the Minnesota Baseball Twins. Um, We've talked about the best starting pitchers and hitters hitters in uh, Twins history, but this week I want to highlight some of the best closers and relievers in franchise history. And This can be hard because there are some players, like the guy we're going to talk about today, that sometimes close, sometimes pitch the seventh or eighth inning, uh, non-traditional closers, some more traditional dominant closers like Joe Nathan, who we'll get to. Uh, we're going to talk about this Twins reliever today who had an exceptional one or two season stretch for the Twins, but didn't really pitch long enough for them to garner much praise in maybe my top five Twins closers article, uh, or were bad in the other years that they pitched for the Twins. So uh, the first we're going to talk about is Doug Corbett, but before we talk about Doug Corbett, Let's highlight Jeff Passan's article that he dropped this morning at ESPN. We're going to stay up to date as much as possible on Lockdown Twins, staying up to date with when is baseball looking to start? When is a possible start date for them? We still don't know. Uh, this article confirmed that there are still no solid plans for when we might get back to a season or when uh, spring training 2.0 would begin. But Jeff Passan started off with his article by saying doctors, officials, owners, Everyone, players, believes that there will be a season this summer. There will be baseball this summer. And uh, I think that's a really good thing to hear right now. And as the curve start, starts to flatten in a lot of places in, in the country as a whole, uh, I think it's a really optimistic thing to look forward to for Americans of there will be baseball. And it seems like a lot of people, a lot of high-ranking people, not just owners who want the money, but doctors and players and officials, everyone believes that there will be a season. There's growing optimism is what Passon said. He laid out some big questions. There are still plenty of questions for Major League Baseball and Major League Players, Major League Baseball Players Association. But I think the biggest takeaway here is they don't want to set a plan in place now and then have things change. So, for example, if they set a plan in place now, assuming that New York or New Jersey was under a stay-at-home order until, you know, July, and they had all these plans set in place, but then New York sees, you know, they're dropping off, and maybe New York by June, and Governor Cuomo is is taking off restrictions, then maybe things change there, and maybe around the country, or perhaps get worse. Uh, unfortunately, the virus maybe comes back as states start to lift their stay-at-home orders, and, and we start to see spikes, and then baseball has a plan, and they have to cancel that plan. So I think the biggest thing to take away is it's a wait-and-see approach right now for baseball. They believe there will be a season, but they don't want to set anything in stone until they know more about the data they know more about the trend of the disease and know more about their potential options that they might have this summer to play i think that's the right way to go about it now passing did say he expect he expects major league baseball to come to a decision within the next month of may so and that's a, a date may 31st is when uh you know they've kind of pushed everything out until teams have been 
uh, paying their employees through May 31st. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of teams jump in now that they have committed to paying their players, even though Rob Manfred said that they could cease those payments without a season. So a lot of things expire on May 31st. That's kind of the date that they set. So Passon fully expects that there will be a plan in May, but baseball is taking a wait and see approach and they're being really pragmatic and smart about what they do here. And I certainly think that that's the right way to go. So a uh, really, really good news today. It's sunny outside and there will be baseball this summer so you know things are trending up maybe minnesota uh you know hopefully we can continue to keep doing a really good job and the country can continue to be keep doing a really good job but we have to stay committed to it uh, absolutely but that is certainly your good news of the day is that there will be baseball in 2020 i believe it and just about everyone believes it above me so hopefully you do as well Today we're going to talk about Doug Corbett, though. Go deep into Doug Corbett. Uh, he was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Royals in 1974 after pitching at the University of Florida. I have like a speech impediment when I say Royals. It just sounds weird. I had an, I had an R issue when I was young. I went to speech therapy for my R's, like Rover. I said it Rova, like I'm from New York, New York, like Dr. Fauci. Uh, or from out east but yeah I, when I say Royals it's weird so forgive me for that I've said it multiple times it sucks they're in our division I gotta say it all the time but Corbett uh, was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Royals in 1974 after pitching at the University of Florida pitched well for the Royals in the minors but was released a year later and then signed on with the Reds on a minor league deal he wanted up pitching in their minor league system for five years Five years without ever pitching in the majors. It uh, didn't help that this was in the midst of uh, an elite Reds team. I think that was the big red machine. He was great between AA and AAA in 1978. But the Reds were 92-69. and 69. Uh, It's still odd to me, like I'm trying to say, that they didn't need him. But it's odd to me because the Reds' bullpen was awful outside of their closer, Doug Blair. So it's kind of perplexing to me that Corbett never got a chance in Cincinnati. Uh, anyway, the Reds chose not to protect him. He was 27 in 1979. They didn't protect him, and the Twins chose him in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, it was not their best Rule 5 draft choice ever, hello, Johan Santana. But Corbett was an example of a guy who just hadn't gotten his chance to shine yet on the big stage. And his minor league numbers show that he was waiting. He was ready to shine on the big league stage, and he was absolutely outstanding for the Twins in 1980 after they signed him. He appeared in 73 games, by far the most on that Twins team, posted a 198 ERA in 136 and one-thirds innings. His ERA plus was 221. That's 121% above league average. Let's look at his 1980 campaign, just how amazing it was from both a league and team history view. So the split here is at least 80% of appearances in relief and 50-plus innings uh, for this single season. Ninth in ERA-plus among Twins ever, uh, among Twins relievers. Ninth best season by ERA-plus. It's the most war ever in one season among Twins relievers, 5.7 war, which is just, to put that into context, uh, Jorge Polanco had, I think, 4.7 war last year. I'll confirm that after the break, but I, I I think Jorge Polanco definitely had less than 5.7 war, so to put that into context, and he was the war leader on the Twins, not Nelson Cruz on baseball reference. Uh, he's tied Corbett for the ninth most war by a reliever in baseball history in 1980. Nine, it's a top 10 season in, in, in baseball history for war by a reliever, wins above replacement. He led all relievers in war that year, uh, finished fourth in AL among all pitchers, all pitchers, including starters, finished fourth. And he led the uh, 77 and 84 Twins in war, not the seven, 1977 and 1984 Twins. The Twins' record in 1980 was 77 and 84. He led that team in war and finished third for Rookie of the Year. We'll be back after this uh, short statement from Postmates. 
If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates, but I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivered without leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they create a non-contact delivery, so when I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I've been using to order takeout from my favorite local restaurants. Listen up. You guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now. I've only been ordering local because it's a great way to support my community. Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off outside my door. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all one word. For $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. So Corbett comes off that phenomenal 1980 season. Uh, he's an all-star in 1981. The uh, Twins went 41-68. and 68. That was the strike season, shortened strike season. Um, but he led the Twins in war again with 2.8 in the shortened season, 2.8 war. He led the American League in appearances with 54, led the league in games finished with 45. He appeared in like half the games that year. Uh, they played 109 games, it looks like, and he appeared in, in like half of them. Uh, no, what did they play? 60, 59, yeah, like 107 or something like that games in 1981, and he led the American League in 54 of them, so, or for appearing in 54 of them, almost half. Pitched 48 and two-thirds uh, less innings because of, of the strike than he did in 1980. It's kind of unfortunate that they didn't play a full season because Corbett was looking like he was going to replicate his 1980 season. His ERA plus low dropped to 155, that's minus 66%. His ERA rose to 257. That's plus 0.59 runs. But between 1980 and 1981, uh, the split is 100 games. So you'd have to pitch 100 games to qualify for this split. And 80% of them as a reliever. That's not a crazy amount. Uh, he led baseball with 8.5 war among all relievers. The difference between Corbett and the second place Rick Camp in war in 1980 and 1981 combined was as wide as the difference between Camp and and the 14th-ranked Ron Davis, uh, then Yankees, and future Twins closer. So not only was Corbett the best reliever in baseball in 1980 and 1981, he was the best reliever in baseball by like a wide, wide, wide margin, like by far the best reliever in baseball by war standard. He was, he was uh, fourth best in the RA plus among all those relievers, uh, tied for fifth with 40 saves even on just terrible Twins teams, and led all Twins players in war during that span, and that includes hitters. So he was the Twins leader in war in 1980 and in 1981. He only had six strikeouts per nine and 3.1 walks per nine. That's a, a poor 1.96 strikeout to walk ratio, but just got a lot of outs and was just outstanding. So what happened after 1981 for this elite reliever, Mr. Doug Corbett? Well, not much. The Twins signed him uh, on a two-year $500,000 extension. Can you believe that? Two years, $500,000. Uh, extension after 81, but he only pitched 22 more innings for Minnesota. He was absolutely brutal to start the 1982 season. Relievers have always been volatile because he started 1982 uh, with a 5.32 ERA in his final 10 games with the Twins. They traded him and Rob Wilfong to the Angels for Tom Bernanski, Mike Walters, and cash considerations. Bernanski went on to produce 
16.1 war and hit 163 homers for the Twins. He also went 7 for 17 with four doubles and two homers in the 87 4-1 upset over the Tigers in the ALCS. Twins, of course, went on to win their first World Series after Bernanski's outstanding ALCS. Uh, Will Fong produced 1.5 war for the rest of his career for the Angels and Giants, and Corbett produced one war, 1.0 war for the rest of his career. So I'd say the Twins won that deal. Uh, Corbett did have a few good years for the Angels, though, in 1984 and 1986, especially in 1984. It looked a lot like his 1981 season. Ranked third among relievers in the RA Plus at 190. Tied for ninth in war with 2.8 with Steve Bedrosian. Uh, another really elite year. He did have three seasons with a negative war, had an ERA plus of 86 only in 1985 between his great year in 1984 and his solid year in 1986. He got hurt. He struggled. He got sent down, had some ups with the Angels, had some downs, mostly downs with the Angels before being released in June of 1987 in the middle of the season. The Orioles picked him up. Uh, Orioles is another one. My goodness. Orioles. Picked him up four days later, and he pitched 23 innings of pretty average ball before calling it quits after the season and retiring. Corbett's career with the Twins is important for many different reasons. Uh, if not for the Twins being bad in 1980 and then terrible in 1981 in the shortened season, Corbett would have had more save opportunities, maybe an opportunity to pitch in the postseason during his prime years. Uh, the Reds also really screwed him by letting him dominate the minors until he was 27 because his minor league stats are outstanding when he was in the Cincinnati system. The Twins finally picked him. Uh, they picked him in that Rule 5 draft, gave him a chance. So he really gave the Twins two elite years of production, but he had more than that in the tank. He was 27 by the time he got to the Twins. I mean, who knows the production he could have had while he was just dominating the minors and the Reds would like refused to bring him up. Then it's also important because the Twins flipped him for Tom Bernanski, who was one of just four players to get at least 3,000 plate appearances for the Twins over the next six and a half years. Ranked third to Kirby Puckett, or Kent Herbeck and Kirby Puckett. That's one and two. I want to make sure I got the right order. In OPS plus 109, over that span, Gary Gaddy was fourth. So he, was, uh, he joined Gaetti, Herbeck, and Puckett as the only Twins to get 3,000 or more plate appearances uh, over the next six and a half years. Bernanski was a huge part of the Twins World Series, and uh, like I said, went 7 for 17 with uh, many extra base hits in the ALCS. So uh, Doug Corbett is a forgotten reliever in Twins history, but his 1980 season was the best uh, the Twins have ever seen out of a reliever. Most war ever in one season, uh, you know, among Twins relievers. Maybe not as dominant as, you know, the good Nathan teams. And we'll get into Joe Nathan this week, and I think I'll have more of an idea when I look deeper into Nathan and Perkins and uh, Paranoski and, and uh, Aguilera. I think it'll be fun. So stick with me this week. I could have a guest as well. Might throw one at you. Been reaching out to some players and, and uh, maybe some media members as well. Thanks for listening today. Have a great day. Go Twinks. Enjoy the weather wherever you are. I hope it's nice. It certainly is here in Minnesota. Uh, again, go Twinks and enjoy the day.